0: This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. Last week we were talking about the coffee shops in England and whether or not. There was a rise in the drinking of coffee as a commodity with the introduction of coffee shops. And we found that coffee became popular much later than coffee shops did. But that's another story. Talking about an article of consumption, um, I was wondering if we can discuss tobacco this week. Smoking cigarettes is not a good thing to do. But then... For a very large part of the 20th century, cigarettes have been wildly popular. It's important to study how and when it became so popular. One of uh, the major moments when cigarettes became particularly popular was during the First World War, when it was marketed as uh, a patriotic commodity, no less. For example, The trade journal Tobacco, in an editorial in October 1914, claimed that, uh, and I quote, it might almost be said that a man in the firing line first thinks of his cartridges, and the very next thing he seems to worry about is ammunition for his pipe. The pipe itself is only less precious than the rifle, unquote. I'm sure. Uh, the journal was exaggerating, but not by March. The troops were probably more concerned with uh, lack of regular food or effective footwear, because they were often struggling in the middle of waterlogged trenches. Nonetheless, tobacco and cigarettes were also highly valued. As a matter of fact, British soldiers and sailors smoked uh, 1,000 tons of cigarette and 700 tons of pipe tobacco in 1915. And uh, tobacco journals often quoted from an article in the medicine journal Lancet, and I quote again, we may surely brush aside much prejudice against the use of tobacco when we consider what a source of comfort it is to the soldier and sailor engaged in a nerve-wracking campaign. There can indeed be little doubt that tobacco fills an important place in the psychophysiological affairs of the human race." Unquote. The nation had gone mad on tobacco, said uh, a member of the British Anti-Tobacco and Anti-Narcotics League. Wartime images of soldiers smoking became part of later generations' images of the Western Front. There were films such as Oh, What a Lovely War in 1963 and uh, King and Country in 1964, which valorized or recalled the valorization of smoking. There was, for instance, um, the book by Arthur Marwick. there are memorable accounts in the book of young women munitions workers spending their money in restaurants and smoking publicly, something that was completely unimaginable before the war. Ironically, the First World War was initially seen as a threat to the tobacco industry. It caused major dislocation to shipping. Imports were controlled by the government because it was looking to preserve uh, shipping space and also um, some amount of uh, foreign currency. But tobacco was considered important for morale among the armed forces, and it continued to be imported. The quantity of pipe tobacco consumed during the war remained fairly stable while cigarette consumption rose steadily. Cigarette and tobacco were regarded as luxuries, but they were also deemed important in boosting the morale of the men in the armed forces. Not just boosting the morale of the men in armed forces, but also those working long hours in war production. So. In the opening months of the war, many tobacco retailers made uh, quite negative predictions as to what it might do to their trade. But the tobacco industry actually did well, very well out of the conflict. Trade grew along with the desire of families and friends to send cigarettes, tobacco, and related items to servicemen in the trenches. In many areas, um, it was also boosted by nearby military camps and by large numbers of workers in munitions and other factories. These factories uh, had been earning good money through long hours and sometimes bonus systems. With, Let's get back a little to the early days of tobacco industry to put this change in perspective. Um, rapid output cigarette manufacturing machines arrived first in the 1880s. So, obviously, production was more mechanized and packaging became better. Um, so, there was a steady rise of sales in um, cigarettes since the nine, 1890s. In 1900, in terms of value, cigarettes accounted for 20% of tobacco sales and by 1914 this proportion had risen to 56% by 1918 it rose to 58% pipe tobacco did remain popular but increasing number of servicemen army men turned to cigarettes so there was a change in trains from the so-called manly tobacco, which was represented by pipes, to cigarettes. During the war, it seemed likely that servicemen were smoking more, very clearly. So there was this uh, comment in the journal Tobacco in 1914. I am here using the research of Professor Chris Rigley of University of uh, Nottingham. And here's the quote for the journal with regard to the rise in tobacco consumption. I quote, there are some million and a half men in uniform, Kitchener's army, the territorials at home and the expeditionary force in France, all are smoking. Man for man, they are smoking more than in times of peace." The demand for tobacco and cigarettes on the Western Front is clear from uh, contemporary sources. In 1916 documentary film, The Battle of the Somme, for instance, there are um, a couple of very moving scenes featuring cigarettes. In one scene, for instance, there is this description of uh, injured German prisoners. They are to be pitied, and in another scene, there are are given cigarettes by the British guard. The Germans are actually shown as human. In one of the most moving scenes, there's this group of soldiers in a sunken lane in a no man's land. The captain informs then, that they were soon to be machine gunned. A man looks to the camera. The others didn't appear to care. They were smoking before they knew they were going to die. From early in the war, the state decided to provide soldiers at the front with tobacco. By September 1914, each soldier in France and Belgium was allowed two ounces a week initially of wills Capstan tobacco. France's national tobacco factories were reported to be operating night and day, with some of their output initially going to British troops. But uh, the British soldiers preferred Virginia tobacco, which was sweeter. So tons of Virginia leaf were shipped to them from England. Tobacco companies um, long emphasized their patriotic role in supplying for the armed forces john player's navy Cuts brand for instance had this sailor trademark was obviously linked to the senior service during the first world war state censorship extended also to cigarette cards the player's company had previously issued several series of cigarette cards of war war themes which proved quite popular with the British public and aroused absolutely no concern. However, from September 14th, 1916, all cigarette cards with naval and military subjects had to be cleared by the Press Bureau's censors. For instance, uh, in packets of its Black Cat brand, the London-based cigarette firm Carriers, put a 24-page English-French dictionaries. The cigarette companies now decided to change the strategy, their strategy for selling cards. They now decided to help the military forces. So carriers now put 24-page English-French dictionaries, phrase books, and French grammars. This was supposed to be uh, useful to the troops in France. Uh, The same company also issued 140 cartoons, and most of these cartoons featured anti-German propaganda. Cigarettes was also a very popular gift article. Early in the war, Godfrey Phillips' company sent 2.5 million of its cigarettes to the British Expeditionary Force, 1,600 packets of tobacco to Belgium and 50,000 cigarettes to the ambulance train in Southampton. Tobacco retailers were also keen to encourage the public to buy their goods for relatives and friends serving in the war. Now, there was, for instance, um, posters and window displays which um, said patriotic things very publicly. Here is one, and I quote, gifts for the men. Soldiers and sailors are mostly smokers. Perhaps you have a friend who has been called up. Send him something to smoke. Come in now. We will dispatch what you buy to his address." In the early part of the war, there was considerable disruptions of domestic markets, of cigarettes. Nottingham, for instance, was uh, one of the cities where tobacco retail trade was affected early on. So in late August, trade was said to have been declined by over a third. And many of these people had initially lost jobs, the guys who worked in manufacturing, but they started recovering soon enough. At the outset of war, the tobacco industry had large reserves in bonded warehouses. In October 1914, nearly um, a million uh, pounds of leaf was shipped from the US, while uh, nearly two and a half lakh uh, pounds came from Sumatra and other non-European states. United Kingdom tobacco merchants hoped to take over the trade based in the Baltic port of Bremen especially Germany's export markets. The UK trade expected to take advantage of the mother country sentiment in the colonies. The British tobacco industry steadily increased its exports until 1916. Thereafter, shipping restrictions did lead to a temporary decline in the domestic trade. However, in the later part of the war, the Tobacco and Matches Control Board acted on behalf of the government to protect consumers, as well as they tried to ensure a level playing field for manufacturers, wholesalers, and retailers, drawing on the powers under the Tobacco Restrictions Order. By late 1916, tobacco retailers were also complaining against falling tobacco consumptions. But, by 1918, there were tobacco shortages in most cities and towns. In mid-June in 1918, there were queues outside tobacconist shops um, in various places. In one munitions area, it was reported that men refused to go on with their employment unless tobacco was found. Shopkeepers closed for several days during the Glasgow Fair holidays. In several places, um, the cheaper brands of cigarettes were unobtainable. So, working people were buying more expensive brands and this made the tobacconists quite happy. Uh, They were hoping that once supplies were restored to the normal, the call for the better class of cigarettes will be heavier than before. Similarly, when the 1918 budget increased the price of cigarettes, a retailer observed, and I quote, for myself, I do not think that we shall sell a single ounce less. I shall sell all I can get. With the shortage of cigarettes, some males became even more critical than usual of women smoking. Strange enough, a report from Hull in a trade journal claimed that, and I quote, increased prevalence of feminine smoking, unquote, was causing a great deal of public comment and controversy, especially the habit of women filling railway smoking compartments, unquote. As uh, Professor Rigley writes that by the end of the war, Cigarette had become not just a popular item but almost a patriotic one. The returning soldiers and sailors continued to smoke and so did many of the new wartime female smokers, though initially they would not smoke often in public. Once the wartime restrictions on tobacco was lifted, Cells jumped. Expenditure on tobacco products rose from 65 million to 115 million in 1919. The tobacco industry had a great war. So, here's how I was talking about the rise of smoking as a patriotic habit and the positioning of tobacco as a necessary antidote for what the traders called nerve racking professions or work during the First World War. Clearly, a lot of this had to do with the marketing of tobacco as a soothener, as something that relieves tension. Someday later, we will probably have occasion to discuss in detail about this particular marketing strategy of tobacco and many other things. But till then, I look forward to seeing you next week with another episode of History Chatter.